Hello, friends, and welcome to Within the Musician podcast. This show is a place of discovery for all students, performers, educators, and future educators. My name is Monica Williams. I am a flutist, teaching artist, recording artist, performer, composer, and lifelong learner. I'm excited to have a very special guest that is also a dear friend of mine, John Herrera, who is on the show this week. John wears many hats in this music industry. He is a music producer. He owns a recording studio, Clamsville Music Studios. He runs an events corporation company and employs many musicians for these corporate events. And he is a multi-instrumentalist and talented composer as well. Today, we're going to talk about how music is affecting the recording industry. And more importantly, the vulnerability and perfectionism that he often experiences with recording artists that come to his studio. John is not only a dear friend of mine, but he's also my music producer, music engineer, and he owns the studio Clamsville where I record at. Today we're going to not only explore the music he's working on during this time period, but about the mindset of many recording artists that enter a recording studio. A lot of self-doubt and defeating moments can happen in the studio. I think this is a very common experience, and I'm going to share my personal journey with this and how I kind of overcame my insecurities in the studio by a realization that music is meant to be a gift. It's bigger than just that moment in time. So we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to get right to the show. Welcome, John. Uh, thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So um, I thought maybe you could just tell, start off by telling us just a little bit about a day in the life of John. What do you do? You wear many hats and how it's different now during this time, if it's different at all. Sure. Well, um, with I have several businesses, um, and I'll start with the production one where I produce records for artists and write and arrange and record and mix, blah, blah, blah. Um, it would seem that in, in this time of COVID, uh, although there may not be that many gigs for musicians and artists to perform at, there's a su substantial amount of creative ideas. So there's been a lot of recording happening. And I believe that the next wave of monumental songs and art and painting, everything art related will reveal itself post COVID. Um, I think that artists are really um, struck by this moment in history, and it is actually creating a platform for new creation. I'm very excited about what could happen despite um, the direness of our current pandemic. That's so interesting because when this COVID first happens, you know, we all we all still continue to worry about the arts, but in some ways, it's actually thriving more because artists have more time and. And I guess it's a very deep emotional experience for artists that they want to 
put music out into the world. So it's it's great. And you're you've been recording. I know you have many companies, so artists are still coming to to record socially distanced, probably, and all that stuff, all the new protocols. But uh, they're still coming to your studio. They, there's well half and half. I get a lot of projects that are being sent in over the internet, and then I work wow. on them at home. So the beauty of that is that without feeling the pressure of other artists in the room with you and feeling like you have to come up with something, you have a little bit of time to really expose the the potential of what could be. And in that moment comes, you know, true art, not pressure of I got to do something right now. Um, so there's a lot, as I mentioned before, I think that the next wave of art in any media will be dramatic because creative people have had a moment to breathe and uh, come up with new things. And of course, they're inspired by this, the current situation that the world is in. Um, it's dramatic and historical. So I think that um, what happens next for, from the arts perspective, recording, painting, writing, all of those things, acting, all of that, um, we should see a significant improvement and new ideas. So it's a very exciting time, as I said, despite the situation that we're in. It, it kind of shook us all up. Like we have to operate differently. I know I am in my business. It's like we can't just continue with the same status quo that we were doing. And I guess creatively, that's also the same thing. It's there's a there's an urgency. And I think that Maybe it's for me, like when you test your own mortality, there's more of an urgency to get music into the world. It's your legacy as an art, right? And and uh, I do, as you know, I do a lot of teaching and I've been focused on, on that. But um, as a performing artist, I have to imagine that it's also kind of your identity. And so when you're performing, your gig work is kind of taken away. It, it's It's almost a mental health crisis in some ways because your identity is is performing. We have it eight months into this at the time of this that we're talking right now. Um, so it makes sense to me that that you're sought out and I'm so glad that that artists are continuing and I really look forward to hearing some some great music. And I already have, you know, these Facebook lives and, you know, people that have been releasing singles and such to to Spotify. And it's been it's been um, exciting as a listener to to hear all these new things. Yeah, my, my biggest concern for all of this in, in terms of um, new art happening is really um, finding fiscal sustenance for artists once the work is completed. I think that's the next step in, our, in the evolution of the arts is to figure out, okay, we've come up with this, you know, the beautiful material, it's amazing how do we afford to make a living to continue doing that? And that is certainly another conversation, but I, I'm, um, you know, nervous about how many great musicians and artists there are that may be forced to choose another career path just because there's no way to monetize now that live gigs are done, you know, media formats have changed. Everybody's on Spotify and there's just no margins that are being made for artists. That's the real sad part of that whole story. Mm. So, yeah, I do have fear, but I also have hope as well. And a lot of the guests I have um, coming up, I think it's time to reimagine yourself. I think that the same way won't work, but it is time to reimagine your career and so that you can bring music, both as a performer, as a teacher, as a recording engineer, you know, so we, we music is needed. And I have this hope that, you know, when the, that 
when Broadway reopens, when the, the orchestras reopen, that they'll be flooded with, you know, back orders, maybe like a six month, you know, it'll become like a six month wait to get into the shows. I have this, this hope and dream that, that we will flood because music and arts of all forms are, are needed. And um, now more than ever, I mean, I work with young people and I think it's, it's even for young people, the act of creation is very therapeutic. It's, it's, it's necessary. Um, not always thought of that same way amongst everyone, but I think it's necessary for, for everyone to have arts. But I hear what you're saying, the, the financial component, you got to be able to put food on the table if you're going to make a CD and, and mm. put it out to the, to the audience. So, um, balance is certainly certainly necessary. I know you actually run a corporate events company that was very successful in the in the Arizona area, correct? Correct. Yes, that's probably been a little hard to um with corp you know, can't have more than what 50 people in a in a space. So, how how's that going? The event industry in general was decimated by corona. Mm-hmm. Um but events are starting to come back. And of course, with social distancing and uh, all the the standard protocol for keeping everybody safe, they're coming back a little bit at a time. I think that people in general are, you know, really pushing to get back to some sense of normal living. But, you know, again, we're still in this moment where we have to take precautions because there's a reasonable amount of people that are at risk. And we certainly don't want to see any artisans, you know, succumb to this. Uh, and or people that they would be performing for succumb to this mm-hmm. as well until we're able right. to get some kind of medical regimen or vaccine or whatever that needs to look like to allow us to go back to regular living. I tell all my friends that uh, we happen to be living in a, in a period of time when uh, something like the measles or rubella or mumps, which are all debilitating viruses, happen. We've been the beneficiary in, in vaccine and, and inoculation to knock that down. So this is in our generation, our period of history, yet another one of those viruses that, you know, puts a lot of people on their knees. So I'm, I'm hopeful that once this goes away, then corporate events and regular gigging will start to happen again. I know that there's a need for it. People are asking for it. It's just can't do it right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's an experience and to have to not have music at a at an event, you know, or just have to have pre-recorded music, it makes the experience less personal, less less in the moment. Um so I, I, I do think that they will will come back and hopefully with inventions, you know, because we need to make up for time here <laughs> of of all this stuff. So so I, I really do think I do have hope that the the arts industries will find a way to recover or reinvent themselves. Um, loving seeing all these virtual performances by people yeah. and, you know, Patreon pages and, um, you know, ways of supporting, buying gift certificates, buying yearly passes to museums, you know. So I've been seeing some really innovative things to help sustain programs. Uh, it's still going to be hard, you know, regardless, but um, but there's there's some hope in in that as well. Well, no, to your point where uh, the arts will re, you know, rebrand itself, will come up with the new way that art is presented and music is presented. And hopefully that will, you know, be good, good for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. So the other thing I wanted to talk to John about is I was thinking about, we were talking a little bit before this, this podcast, but uh, as I was thinking about guests, um, this podcast is fairly new. Um, John was the first person I thought of. And one of the reasons is because he was my, is my music producer, music engineer um, for at least the last three years. And we've put out some amazing work together. He's, he wears many hats, which is probably good in a situation like this. But as I went to Clamsville, which is in Arizona, um, you know, I've been in this industry as a performer, as a teacher, and as a recording artist, there's been other other projects I've been involved on. You know, there is an act of vulnerability going into the studio for artists. Um, and for me, a um, little bit of self-disclosure is as soon as you walk into the studio, all these self-doubts begin coming in. Is my project good enough? Are all these hours good enough? And then you start recording and there's, at least for me, there's more doubts. Um, just a little bit, but it's enough to put some pressure on the situation. Um, and when I was done with the project, you know, I felt good about it leaving the studio. And then I start listening to the project and like I start listening under a magnifying glass of all the little mistakes. It's like I don't experience the music the way I did it. And John and I had an interesting conversation fairly early working together. And it's always impacted me to this moment and something I pass on to my students. And it was he had me listen. I, first of all, I said this like notebook full of mistakes that I made and little things that I wanted to correct and come back to the studio and redo. And, you know, we had a conversation and it, he was like, you know, no one is going to really listen like you're listening. You're listening for all the teeny little mistakes that no one can really hear. Um, and the experience of the music is what people will take away. And I'm so grateful for that conversation because it's always stuck with me because that's the point of it is that there is imperfection in music and that's what makes it that's what makes the the joy the the specialness of it it's we're not computers we are we are expressing a musical idea a story we're telling an experience and that's the end project of the of the of that. So I wanted to ask you, John, I mean, you're in a very interesting position to see artists at one of their most vulnerable times is with, you know, trying to deliver their music projects. Am I, is this a unique situation to me or have other artists experienced this too? It really is the norm. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody that is passionate about what they do, um, of course, wants a level of excellence. And in a zeal for excellence, sometimes the mechanics of what you're playing or what you're recording get in the way of the conveyance of emotion. And I think that music at the lowest denominator, at the very lowest, is merely nothing more than the conveyance of emotion. That's what drives people to love particular songs or love performances or artists in general. And there you know, are a ton of artists that are not perfect, but the beauty of what they bring is startling and... and mm it strikes a chord within all of us each differently because our, all of our journeys are different. And uh, so for the artists that come into work, um, I always try to remind everybody, look, just play from your heart and we all make mistakes. We're human. It's okay to do that. Other people resonate with that. But if your zeal for perfection ends up being too meticulous, the only thing you succeed in doing is sterilizing the delivery of the emotion. And now people aren't mm-hmm. emo- aren't committed to it. Um, a great example of that is Stevie Wonder. He is like a legendary, one of the most prolific artists of our time. And if you carefully listen, there are mistakes. 
in in the tunes, mm-hmm. pitchiness, all those things. But make no mistake, and Adele is a modern day version of that as well. She admittedly will say that she sings flat. Well, but you what you can't take away from her is her conviction to a delivery that supersedes the little mechanical things. And I feel like um, sometimes in the new age of recording and production and music, we're so caught up in making sure that every detail is perfect that it starts to lose the emotion. So for all the artists that are working here, I try and remind them, look, man, we're, we're delivering emotion. It has mistakes in it. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have mistakes if you really mean it. People resonate with that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the mistakes are the best part. You know, it could be like, you know, um, a wrong note is actually fit, what fits in the chord structure. It's like, well, that wasn't the intention, but that's that's kind of yeah. cool. Miles so, Davis approach. If you make a mistake, make it, tw- play it again. And now it mm-hmm. seems like, and then everybody else is like, <laughs> whoa, that was deep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, it's, and I like the, I, you know, the concepts of sterilizing the emotion. I think that that's, there's a fine line between focus and hypervigilance that cuts you off from the music and you have to find that balance. Of course you want your, 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 um, your work to be as clean and as, as precise as you intended. But if you sterilize the emotion, there's no point to the music at all. Um, so that's a really good point. We've all sat through, there's been some fine performances that I sat through that were technically perfect, but I didn't experience the the emotional experience that I've wanted to and and you know as a teacher I talk about this a lot to my students is that they get so hung up on just a couple of mistakes that they don't experience all the magnificence surrounding the the music itself so I think that this is you know something that we need to be working on even early in our music careers is that there is mm-hmm. imperfection in music and maybe it's supposed to be there um, and to not apologize. The other day I had a student and I ended up counting. We were kind of running through. I ended up counting. She said every time she made a mistake, she said, sorry. It ended up being 15 mini, minuscule little mistakes. She said, sorry, 15 times during the course of a three minute piece of music. And they were all very, very min- minor. And I think that that can cut you off from, you know, the the flow and the emotional impact of music. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there are anybody that would be listening, uh, creative people specifically, one of the best things that I could share with you would be as a recording artist or a performer, I think that you should not be analytical to what you're doing in the moment. Instead, you should be emoting and giving everything that you have. It's impossible to be critical of what you're doing and emote at the same time. So I feel like if people got back to emoting and stopped worrying about, you know, did I make a mistake? Did I make a mistake? Or sorry, sorry, sorry. Instead, mm-hmm. you're just giving it, you know, giving it everything you got. Then I feel like the conveyance of emotion is present in that moment. And I feel we've gotten away from that with the advent of technology. Whereas in the 60s and 70s, you either were or you weren't. There was no way to fix it with technology. And so some of the most beautiful and emotive recordings come from that period because people just were. They were they were being. And I think that that's a significant thing to remember. Well, you can write a song, but when you go to record it, put yourself in the mind frame that you're really not listening to yourself. You're just giving it everything you got. And I think if you start mm-hmm. from that, then 
all of the performances will be more compelling, which means that the listener will be truly struck by that. And I think that's where we need, emotionally, I think in these days, we need that more than ever. So um, I always encourage that. And there's always going to be imperfection, but that's the beauty of it. Uh, the beauty of per imperfection makes it perfect. So mm. I love that idea. And it's almost like, you know, with technology, it allows us that tool when we're in a rehearsal mode is that we can be in the moment, experience that emotional capacity and record it and analyze it later, which I mean, I know as an artist, I don't always want to record myself because again, that's like, you know, it, it's kind of hard to analyze that, to be in that moment, but that's when you want to be analyzing it and, and, and retweaking what you're, you're doing. And you can come to it with any genre. You can come to it with pencil and paper later and, and write down some notes of your intentions for betterment, but to be in that musical experience and not be analyzing at that moment, what a great freedom, you know, mm -hmm. that we have such tools available, you know, you can, with everyone has as a phone you can just record yourself and analyze later and be in that moment of experiencing it because i as a performer i think i need to actually practice being in that moment of delivery and the emotional capacity in order to be able to deliver it either in a live performance or in a recording if you wait for that moment when the record button goes mm -hmm. on it's kind of you know not too late but it's more difficult it's more difficult to really do that and when I think about this emotional thing, I, there's there's something really great about Clamsville that I, that it was such a simple thing, but it's the only studio that has ever done this. And that was when I first started. Uh, John has these kind of cool lights. They're probably simple to to do, but they're in the ceilings and they're all different colors. So John would ask me, "What color is this piece emotionally?" And be like, "Wow, that just takes you out of it for like another sensation instead of." instead of thinking about the music and you have to think about it, uh, this, I think this is more like a purple and then the purple lights would come on. It was, it's such a simple thing, but those kind of things make a, a big difference to, to creating the environment because you do feel a little bit of pressure because it's important to you. You know, even if you're, even if you're the most confident person ever, I think there's pressure because it's just important and not all stress is bad. I don't think, you know, some stress can be, can be good, but that was, that was really cool that that you delivered that <laughs> the lights the right lights there. are the move yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 the lights and and of course the uh the great conversation and relaxed atmosphere i'm very appreciative of that um so one other question i wanted to ask in this day and age of recording accessibility um let's face it that th there is some expense it's an investment to put a project to full you know, to put it fully out there. Um, what do you, what's your advice to young musicians? Like I have a 16 year old that wants to do um, a recording for his um, senior project and release it to Spotify. Can an average artist that's at home using GarageBand or Logic or um, Soundtrap is the, the new one that a lot of my students are using. Can someone actually put a, put a CD or, or a, a single out and what would be your advice to those young people that would like to venture into their first pro musical project? Well, technology has advanced significantly over the last 20 years. And it is true that you can actually do home recordings uh, in the comfort of your home with very, very little technology. And a lot of major artists are doing that these days. So it is very, very possible. Um, there are a couple of you know things that I would suggest uh, would be basic acoustics of the room that you're recording in. A reasonable microphone, 
to record with if you need a mic. If you're a beat maker, you know, some reasonable samples or loops. Um, the computer that you're recording with, you would need to have enough RAM in the front of the computer to accommodate mm -hmm. a higher sample rate and bit depth for recording. And again, these are all things, if you write them down and simply YouTube them, you'll get, you know, endless tutorials about how to do it and how to do it at home. So, for example, I'm speaking in a closet <laughs> of my bedroom uh, because I have two recording sessions going on simultaneously. I have two assistants in there working. Um, but I also know by moving the computer into the closet, it's very, very dry. It's, it's not real boomy. You're not hearing the reflections of the wall. And I think that that moment is just knowing this, the environment to record in. If you record in a large room that has hard surfaces, you just hear the reverberation of the room. And that's not conducive to a good recording in that way. Right. So uh, just simple things like that. Basic microphone placement. Uh, basic, just real basic stuff, all of which you can get on the School of YouTube. <laughs> I love that. The School of YouTube and Google has everything. So it sounds like what you're saying is before you get into that creative energy of like, be, you know, doing a final project, do some research before you just jump into it. So your project is actually deliverable to one of those platforms that you might want to. Yes. Put it out today. Yes, it doesn't yeah. take a lot of effort. It just takes a little bit of time to mm -hmm. to uh, figure that out in your own workspace, and then the correct microphone and computer combination. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you're good. Yeah, and that could give you a good first experience to it. As a as a as a recording artist myself, I know that I don't want to necessarily do any final projects. They're nice to do roughs because you can't wear all hats. I mean, when you get to a certain level as an artist and you, you can't be the music producer, the music engineer, the artist, the performer, I, I think that's at some point, at least for me, maybe other people can do it. I should speak for myself. Um, at, at some point you, uh, you don't have the, the expertise in all of those fields. You might have a certain, certain degree of knowledge on a certain thing, but um, even if I had the expertise in all of that, I don't, I'm not sure I would want to, um, I'm not sure I would want to do all of those hats simultaneously. Right. Because I know you're a performer and have you, have you ever done your own production for yourself? Yes. Yeah. You've done that. Yeah. But it's all, it's good, always good to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. And mm -hmm. depending on, on what it is, you know, having another set of ears to help guide that is really beneficial. Even for me, I've been doing it for a long time, but I still appreciate um, having somebody else give me creative input, you know, or objective input. If I'm the one, again, if you're evoking with everything you have, you're not really critical of what you're doing. So it's good for somebody else to be there to give you critical feedback that would help you adjust your performance. Interesting. Yes, I, I totally agree. And takes takes a little bit of pressure off of that because we all listen differently. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I listen differently within the moment. I can listen to something and have a, one experience or thought and then listen to it two days later and have a completely different one. So it's, it's true. Right. So can you tell us a little bit, John, how would people contact you if they were interested in um, doing a project with you and you do music production, you do music engineering? How, what, how do people contact um, you? They can contact via email or even my telephone number. Uh, Clamsville at Cox.net, C-L-A-M as in Mary, S, V as in Victor, I-L-L-E at C-O-X.net. 
is usually the way. Or you can go to clamsvilleproductions.com, and then there's contact information there as well. And you can hear some samples. I haven't updated it in years, so sorry. I'm so busy (laughs) that I just – I need to. I know that I need to, but I, yeah, time. I need more time. Yeah, it's time. Well, you spend it with your clients and the people that you bring it because I I, I can testify to that, that he's – Amazing. Once you once you get on the on the um, in the studio, so oh, no, I'm I'm too real. Okay, here's the lightning round questions. Quick little questions, fun little questions for you. I'm gonna end with um, favorite band or group. Wow, put me, put me on the spot. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite band or group? Um, take six. Take six. Least favorite instrument to record, or I should say hardest. Hardest instrument to record. Uh, Bagpipes. They're really, really loud and intrusive. Oh, wow. And then the bellows, the main part of it, uh, (laughs) the drone, is typically out of tune. So it drives me nuts. I can see that. Favorite streaming platform? Um, I don't know. Sirius? Is that a streaming platform? It is. is. It's terrestrial. Yeah, Yeah, it depends on where you... Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, longest recording session you've actually ever done mm. in a row. That would have been, um, uh, wow. There's a number. The, I bet it's been long. <laughs> That's yeah, why I, so I was interested. There's one particular artist, Dennis Rowland, who used to be one of the singers with Count Basie did a series of live recordings and um, those were four plus hours per recording, but they were profound because of the musicality that was happening. And um, you know, he's a historical figure and and when he sings, there's something that comes out of him that, you know, again, that evoking that's from a different period of time and it's, it's compelling to hear. So I was I was caught up in the four hours for every second. It was remarkable. Favorite venue you performed? Um, Catalina, the the big ballroom there is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Catalina nice. Island. Nice. Yeah, that'd be a nice. fun fun vacation too. I love vacation performing experiences. Yeah. Good destinations. Um, any pet peeves about musicians coming into your studio? Anything we should be aware of as, as artists coming into a studio? Uh, that Sure. I, I would tell not. everybody to do their, their preparation and homework at, at home as much as they can. So by the time they show up, they're just evoking a final thought. And then not to be too critical while you're trying to do it. I think that a lot of artists get caught mm-hmm. up in the idea of listening to themselves acutely when instead they should be worried about delivering the message with whatever instrument or vocal Mm. or whatever you're doing. I mean, you should be there to deliver it, not be critical to yourself. You can do that after the recording is done. You listen to the playback and then you can simply adjust what you're doing. But if you're being analytical to yourself in the moment of creation, that's counterproductive in my opinion. Good point. I'm guilty of that one. Wanting to hear it back again. (laughs) Let's hear it back again when we're in the studio. Yes. Um, what does a perfect Saturday look like? Mm. You are a workaholic, so you're probably working all the time. But what would you do on a perfect um, Saturday? I would sleep in, and then I, I would work on music. That's my calling. So oh. um, 
I never think of it as like I, I'm told that all the time that I'm a workaholic. It doesn't really occur to me that way because I don't. It doesn't occur to me that I'm working. I'm working on art. That's so cool. Totally, I can see that about you. I, I 100% agree on that. Um, great. Well, this was this was a great conversation, and personally, I just it's great to connect and 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 I need to get to Arizona soon i like to be in the studio to work with you rather than then um there's a lot you can do virtually but i i, I do like yeah. to connect with with john and clamsville and be there because i it's it's there's an experience to that process um so i hope to get there very very soon but i thank you i think that um the takeaway for me was that there's a lot of great things coming out that you're working on and you're seeing that we have not seen yet. So to kind of be looking for these artists. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering how you can support artists, you know, this is the time to support them is, you know, maybe if they have a Patreon page, if enough people just do a dollar or $5, that makes a huge difference. Um, buying a CD. I know that CDs, you know, you might not have as much use, but still you're supporting the artists, you know, look for ways to support um, local artists, organizations, and um, so that this music can continue to be delivered and they can continue to go to places like Clamsville and John and keep bringing music um, to the world. So I'm very, I'm very excited to see what comes out in this next couple. Congratulations of on all your successes, by the way, she's got a number of successes oh, with the last record i'm really proud to be part of it and look forward to the next one hopefully soon my friend soon soon yeah. soon 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 okay thank you john everybody have a great day great week i hope you've enjoyed today's episode Stay tuned next week for another episode of Within the Musician. If you have enjoyed this program, please like, share, subscribe, and review. It would mean so much to me because it will help get me on the algorithms so that more musicians, students, teachers, and performers can find this show. Until next week, bye-bye.